This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to the Chase Thomas Podcast. We're recording this on another dreary night in Atlanta, but Josh Nelson, host of the Sox Machine Podcast, is here, and also the best radio voice I have ever heard in my <laughs> lifetime. Josh, good evening. How are you? Good evening. I am glad that Atlanta is getting some rain because Chicago past four days has been nothing but precipitation and just too much precipitation in 2018, I'm good with some dry weather in the upcoming days. <laughs> yeah, summer just this was this would have been fine in April, but we're mid June now. I'm I'm just ready for sunny days every day and just you know enjoy the summer. That's all I want because there's nothing worse than humidity. I I can't stand it. Well, in Chicago we had winter and then a second winter, and then <laughs> all of a sudden it was like 90. Uh, so we didn't have much of a spring in Chicago this year and it's already mid June. So I guess we're getting a little bit of spring, but that, that seems pretty late, but yeah, the weather's been really weird, uh, at least in Chicago for 2018. At least you have a great White Sox team to keep you occupied on other more fun things other than the weather, right? Well, I wouldn't use the word great. Uh, they have been playing better in the last 30 games before tonight's game against the Cleveland Indians. They are 14 and 16. And in the month of June, they are seven and five having won a series against the Milwaukee Brewers and the Boston Red Sox. So maybe the arrow turning a corner. Yeah. Turning a corner. Maybe the arrow is pointing up for the Chicago White Sox. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see how the rest of June plays out. Uh, they're still going to be a bottom five ball club, but it's nice to see some life from this team. I don't think they're going to be a bottom five ball club because if you look, um, there is a great piece, and we're going to touch on this later, Grant Brisby wrote, um, and this is something we're all, like every baseball fan's starting to pick up on and monitor, is that there are a lot of especially bad teams this year. Shout out to the Orioles and Chris Davis for ensuring the <laughs> Orioles are going to be as bad as humanly possible. And then once they trade Machado, I mean, they're 26 games back, I think, from first right now, and that's with Machado. Just imagining them move on from him. Uh, just It's going to be an amazing second half of the season for the Baltimore Orioles. But um, it's just there's a lot of bad teams, and the White Sox, I think, have too much talent to really um, be in that bottom five. I think they're just – I don't think they're going to be buyers at the deadline or anything, and you're way more locked into this team than I am. But it does seem like this is a team that – is closer to surprising other people than on the other end where it's like the hopeless situation, like the Reds and the Orioles and the Royals and um, things like that. 
Speaking of, how excited are you about the Royals completely imploding and this just being a dumpster fire and them heading to 10 years of just awfulness? Are you enjoying that at least? Uh, I don't know if I would say enjoy. I knew that it was coming okay. uh, because, you know, the one thing about being a consistent winner in Major League Baseball is that you need to be able to spend money wisely. And I think the Royals regret re-signing Alex Gordon. Because that's mm. that's a lot of wasted money right now for the production that they're getting, a- right. and Salvador Perez they signed on a, on a on a nice deal, but they're still playing Alcides Escobar every single day at shortstop. Not great. Not not a good situation. And even though they had uh, their Major League Baseball draft, there's a lot of people who praise the Royals for what they did in the draft last week. I have to disagree. And this was the first year that I really dug deep into the draft and follow college baseball from opening day in February throughout the year. And when you have five picks in the top 75 choices and you decide to load up on all college starting pitching, I mean, you got to diversify your assets. You, you got to find some bats in the system. The, the Royals don't have any bats in the system. I, I like Nick Prado, but he's one guy that you've got. And he's 19 years old and he's still years away. So for the Royals who have this great opportunity to really enhance their pipeline, add some interesting prospects that could possibly help them turn a corner in three to four years, they decide to load up on college starting pitching. Chase, I just don't understand that direction that they went with. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I don't know if it's going to pay off. I get it. Drafting Brady Senior and Jackson Kowar, you take the University of Florida's Friday and Saturday night starters, and you know the, those are two really good Major League Baseball pitching prospects. But uh, you know your other three picks, you, you should have found some bats because there were some. There's plenty of high school talent around as far as when it comes to position players. And the Royals have never been shy from taking high schoolers. Uh, so I don't know what's going to happen with the Royals. Maybe it will be ten years of darkness. And if it is, they can look back at this draft class and they should have diversified those top five picks that they had uh, rather than just load up on college starting pitching. And to be fair to them, though, the Cubs do this a lot now, right? Like Theo Epstein is known for drafting college arms because they get to the majors faster. And it's um, uh, it's something that he and the Cubs did, especially in this draft, right? Didn't they draft two college arms in the first couple of rounds? Well, Am I misremembering that, or did they do that? They drafted Nico Horner, the shortstop from Stanford, with their first pick, with pick 24. And yes, Mm -hmm. the Cubs do need to add starting pitching, but the Cubs are in a much different position than the Royals. For sure. When the Cubs were rebuilding, they went straight up uh, position player front. They drafted Javier Baez. They drafted Albert Amora. They drafted Chris Bryant. Uh, So they really focused on bats. Uh, Kyle Schwarber is also another first-rounder that they spent. So when you're rebuilding... You should focus on position players because these guys have a chance to play every single day. When you are in a position like the Chicago Cubs or the New York Yankees or the Houston Astros or the Los Angeles Dodgers, sure, if you want to load up on college starting pitching, go for it because you're in the window. And these guys can rise through a system much faster. When you're the Kansas City Royals and you may not be good for a while, I just I think you got to take more risks. You got to find high ceiling guys, especially in a draft class that everyone agreed was pretty deep on the high school front. I, I just find their 
draft strategy very confusing. And and like I said, I mean, if this does turn into 10 years of darkness for Kansas City, we can look back at the 2018 Major League Baseball draft and say, this is why the Royals are continuing to struggle with this draft strategy, especially when they don't have assets to pull in prospects like the White Sox had uh, with Chris Sale and Jose Quintana. Danny Duffy's Mike Moustakis is not a... Uh... Pro, uh, not a third baseman who's going to bring in uh, no. a lot of high-end prospects. No, no. Danny Duffy, no. not going to do it. Well, Duffy, okay. if he was pitching better, no. could, but he's not. So right. I know this is a lot of talk about the worst team in the American League Central, uh, but this mm-hmm. is this is a lesson what people want. Well, this is a lesson to be learned when it comes to rebuilding. There's and no team should know better on how to rebuild than the Royals because they just went through this. And they were incredibly successful with the rebuild, mm-hmm. but they're not using that blueprint. And I do not understand why. It's a, it's going to be interesting, but uh, you know what? Dayton Moore, he may not have had a great 2018 draft, but you know what he did do? He won the Wade Davis for Jorge Solar trade. So shout out to him for that. You know what? I don't think he even wanted to be with Kansas City, to be honest with you, Chase. I think he was figuring before <laughs> the year he was going to be with the Atlanta Braves. <laughs> I am so glad he's not, and that was my big fear, was that that was going to be what happened, especially because of the stability that he ostensibly would bring based on uh, Copy's exit and John Hart's exit, where I thought the Braves were going to go one way, where it was like, Dayton Moore is a household name, you could tell the fan base on, he won a World Series with this team, he has history with the Braves, all that kind of stuff, he's just, uh, he goes way back with Sherholtz and all that stuff, but I'm glad he stayed true to kansas city and stayed there and i think he also has like unlimited job security in kansas city and the braves are inching closer and closer to winning now and i believe he's from the area and all that kind of stuff so it it doesn't surprise me that he stayed but at the same time i'm very happy that alex anthopoulos is running the braves and um not dayton Moore because he got his ring great but i uh i'm not exactly the biggest dayton Moore uh general manager fan uh in uh sports I, i would say that and I would agree with you, but he does have a World Series ring because of that true. amazing bullpen that they had. <laughs> That's true. I mean, he he does have that, and you know, Ozzie Guillen has a World Series ring, as you are very well aware of. So yep. you know, you never know who's going to get a World Series ring because baseball is weird and sports are weird, and you never know who's going to win. Um, how excited were you about that James Shields starting pitching uh, renaissance the other day? Well. Shields is doing a really good job as far as reinventing himself and try to get himself traded in August to a contender. I don't think he's going to be a July trade. That was one of my preseason predictions was that James Shields was going to pitch well enough to be moved in July. I don't think that will happen. I do think he will get moved in August when a team just needs a better option in the back end of the rotation, a four or a five that they can count on for four or five starts in September to mm-hmm. possibly help him get into the postseason. And you know who that sounds like James Shields. Oh, well, not just that, but I'm saying like which team sounds right because he's the type of guy, the way you laid it out, it's like he's not someone you're going to have to give up a high end prospect to get in August, but you'll have to give up a little bit. That seems like a team like the Mariners or the Angels yeah. where they're going to be in a pennant race and they don't have a great farm system and that's putting it very nicely. So it might not require much. They might be able to give someone up on the main roster right now, that kind of thing. But um, it would not surprise me if he uh, – I, couldn't you see him in an Angels uniform? Yes, he's I a SoCal guy. 
That's that yeah. was a big reason why he signed with the Padres. So that would almost be doing the White Sox would be doing James Shields a favor if they could strike a deal with the Angels because Shields gets to go back home. How many years does he have left on his deal? Because he signed that mega contract not too long ago, right? Yeah, so there he still has several years. There, there, it's not several years. There's a player option, which is Ooh, totally okay. gonna get declined. I'm sorry, team option. I was going to say, not a player option. Team option would get declined. James Shields is taking that money. Yeah, he, he would take that money. Uh, but no, I'm sorry, it's a team option. James uh, and the White Sox would decline it. If the White Sox traded Shields, they would decline it as well. Uh, I don't know what type of deal Shields could possibly get next year. He may call it quits, depending on the situation, on what team that he joins. But uh, the Angels, it, it, I, I like that idea that that that's a possibility. But again, I don't expect anything to happen until August. Uh, but yeah, here's this veteran, crafty pitcher now, much different from the James Shields of old, that is reinventing himself and he finds a way uh, to still be productive and helping a White Sox team that is not very good uh, continue to be competitive. And what would... How would that look if Shields was on a team that had Mike Trout in the lineup? Mm-hmm. Would his numbers look better? I don't know. I think we're going to find out, though, and I, I do think he gets moved, uh, but after the July 31st deadline. Okay. And his option next year, we should point out, when he'll be 37 years old, is $16 million. Yeah, that's not going to get picked. <laughs> Something tells me the team is not going to pick that up. And James Shields has been great this year. Like we said, it's been um, a pleasant surprise. And you know what? My dude was a 16th round pick, and he's made 112 million dollars in his career. Like he, it all worked out. So he's yep. had a great run. Um, but yeah, I, I like Shields, and I'm glad that he's kind of having a career renaissance this year and reinventing himself, kind of like Matt Cain and Tim Lincecum and guys like that who just have to change things when they get older. And it's fine. It's part of the aging process. Um, do you think Jose Abreu gets moved to the deadline? Or before? No, I don't, okay. because the price tag is going to be very high. I can't mm-hmm. begin to fathom what the price tag is going to be. Now, should teams be serious in their pursuit with Jose Abreu? Yes. Uh, Jose Abreu, I still believe, leads the league in doubles. Uh, and I know he's only got 10 home runs. and He's got 25 doubles on the year already. He's on pace to have more than 60 doubles this year. So the guy is still hitting for power. He's still hitting for average. Defensively, he's not all that great, but a team that I just think it makes a lot of sense for them to acquire Jose Abreu is the New York Yankees, just because what's going on with Greg Bird, what's going on with Neil Walker at first base, this is clearly not working, and that is the hole that the Yankees have on the team right now is at first base. And to acquire somebody like Jose Abreu to add into that already stacked lineup and have him for the next year and a half, I think that would help them. So I think their World Series chances are the best already in Major League Baseball. Again, they're my World Series pick over the Chicago Cubs. Uh, but I think Jose Abreu would help answer that question of what are the Yankees going to do at first base? Uh, because I just don't think they can count on Greg Bird staying healthy. So if there's any right. team that would pick up the phone and be able to shock the White Sox in, in a trade offer for Jose Abreu, I think it's the New York Yankees. But I don't know if that's going to happen because I think the White Sox would like to keep Jose Abreu, even though his contract expires after 2019 and see if they can work out a short contract extension, maybe two to three years to keep him around 
for 2020, 2021, and, and see if he could continue to be productive along with Yohan Mikata, who's got a couple more years under his feet, and Aloy Jimenez joining the lineup. It, it, is there enough firepower now in that White Sox lineup to be a postseason contender? Um, we'll see. But if a team is willing to overpay for Jose Abreu, yes, you can acquire Jose Abreu before the July 31st deadline. And that might be the case because um, I don't know how many people are aware of this right now, but your 2018 AL uh, first baseman starter in the All-Star game is probably going to be like Mitch Moreland. Well, right now, not yeah. Great. It's it's not great. It's Right now, a lot of teams need first baseman. Yeah, Abreu, Abreu's leading in votes, and we'll see if he can be voted in. He'll be the White Sox representative in the All Star game, so I, I'm very confident that Jose Abreu is going to be an All Star first baseman again. And I think comparing okay. him to other first basemen in the American League, I mean, in the American League, first base suck. Right, it sucks right now. It's a bad mm-hmm. position all over, especially when you compare it to like Freddie Freeman in the National League. Like Freddie Freeman is running laps. <laughs> against the American League first baseman. And what hurts Jose Breu's wins above replacement total is that he's not that good at defense. He's got a good arm, um, but he's still in the negative uh, for run prevention at, at first base. But he is still one of the best offensive um, producing first basemen in the American League and in all of Major League Baseball. So a team that needs to upgrade at first base, like the New York Yankees, that's where I could see a deal making sense. It should be interesting to see what happens, but um, I don't think they should be in any rush, and it seems like he's a good White, ha- uh, White House present. A good presence for the White Sox, um, young guys like Makata and that kind of thing, where it does seem like he has value there, especially long-term, and if he's performing at this level, there's just no need to... Even if you're going through a rebuild, you don't always have to do a complete teardown, and the White Sox are still pretty bad with the Breos, so that's like one of the nice things to have, where it's like, we don't have to move this albatross contract or anything like that where the tigers are now dealing with the uh, fallout of a 10-year miguel cabrera hmm. deal yeah. um he is now out for the season which really sucks because miguel cabrera was awesome for a really long time but it looks like this is that's gonna be one of the worst contracts in bit we albert Pujols is having this weird positive season and now all the attention i think is going to turn to the miguel cabrera contract nail for the next couple of years of just like oh tigers what are you doing this is why you don't give out 10-year deals and then I mean, Robinson Cano, what a great deal in Seattle right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. That I mean, stop giving 10-year deals. I think that's what we're learning from uh, the last couple of years. Do you want to talk about the Angels real quick? Yeah, let's talk about the Angels. Okay, we've kind of touched on them with uh, James Shields potentially going back to SoCal and joining them. But it's been a, um, a rocky few weeks for them. I mean, they, uh, they've lost three straight now, but they won six straight before that. They're having a very... 500 last couple of months um they're not close to the 10 games over 500 they were at one point this year they are uh surviving but the mariners are thriving with mitch hanniger and yeah. just a hodgepodge of uh c plus players which i guess is kind of cool that they're able to put this together with jerry DePito. but um i i don't know i think the angels are in this weird spot and now it's even cloudier and murkier because shohi Atani is uh his future is in doubt and we still don't have a uh, a very concrete answer as to what the next two years even are going to look like for him because if he has to get tommy john he's probably out till the 2020 season but if he can avoid surgery he'll be back 
this year it looks like it's crazy how different this can go depending on what happens but um he has a grade two strain in his ucl and his elbow and it uh as of this recording we still don't know what to expect about otani in los angeles and what the angels need more because there's the idea floating out there that well otani can still be a dh you keep otani's bat in the lineup you just can't throw a baseball right okay what the angels need more is Otani, the pitcher than the hitter because they have the world's greatest player in Mike Trout. And he's already at 5.6 wins above replacement. According to fan graphs, he's having his best season ever, right? He, he could, he could actually accomplish a 12 wins above replacement season chase, 12 wins above replacement. What the angels need desperately is somebody who can pitch because they're in the middle of the road, both at the starting pitching front and in the bullpen where they rank 14th in starting pitching when it comes from FIP and they rank 15th in the bullpen when it comes to FIP. So if, if there's an opportunity for them that if they know they're not going to have Otani in the starting rotation, that if they could piece together something to get a better starting pitcher to help them uh, to be able to catch the Astros and catch the Mariners, then I think it's totally worth it. They just can't be in this funk where they're sitting back at third place, hoping that they could catch fire with the current roster. Uh, because I don't know, it looks like luck is on Seattle's side. Now, it's oh, it's never been on Seattle's side, it seems like, the last decade. And we'll see they float back to earth. Uh, but the thing I'll tell you about the Seattle Mariners, they have a great bullpen. They, they, that bullpen is very strong late in games and they're doing uh, you know everything that they can to win all these one run games that's what's just so impressive by the Seattle Mariners right now so the Angels are in a tough race and but the way that Mike Trout is playing you got to do everything you can to find pieces to help you stay in this race to stay on pace with the Mariners and Astros and I, I think this story would be completely different if Otani was healthy but with Otani now, as far as his season in jeopardy and his future, we don't, as you mentioned, we're not very clear on. The good news about Otani is that he he's cheap. He was really cheap for the Angels to sign from Japan. It's not a big investment. So if there's a way that they can go out and acquire a starting pitcher uh, from a team that is not going to be a contender, maybe somebody like Cole Hamels from the Texas Rangers, uh, that would be very beneficial for Anaheim. So that way that they can find a way to continue to stay on pace with the, the Houston Astros and the Seattle Mariners, because when September comes around and trout continues to play like this, he may carry the angels into a postseason birth. It's, it's funny that we were talking about just like a month ago that this team was like, we were penciling them in with Otani's amazing start and Mike Trout just being awesome and Justin Upton hitting and just, they've gotten a lot out of, they had a really good off season and Billy Epler's done a really good job making something of this roster because he was dealt one of the worst hands any GM could get going in where they had no farm systems, the worst in baseball. And they also just had a lot of bad contracts and it was just, it was hard to see an avenue to replenish this roster enough where they could actually build a contender while Mike Trout is under contract and in his prime because he's only got a couple more years now um, and the clock is ticking and you we really don't know what's going to happen with Trout in Los Angeles maybe he'll stay and sign a 15-year deal or he'll go to the Phillies or the Yankees or something we don't know yet but the point is Mike Trout needs to be in playoff games 
and Major League Baseball uh, needs Mike Trout to be in playoff <laughs> games. And Otani going down is a huge issue as to whether or not they are going to even get a wild card appearance because I, I, Will Leach uh, was on the pod last week and I think I said something that uh, was slightly hurtful to Mariners fans because, you know, they have this gigantic postseason drought and it would be a great story if a Mitch Hanniger led offense um, got into the postseason in any other year. However, I do not want to see the Seattle Mariners versus the Boston Red Sox in the wildcard game. What I want to see is the Angels with Otani starting and Mike Trout and uh, Mookie Betts and everything that would come with a Boston Red Sox, um, Los Angeles Angels wildcard game, just the incredibly high stakes, the atmosphere, everything. It's must-see television. Like that's That would be one of the biggest sporting events of the year if we got that. It would not be the case if the Mariners got in. So I want the Angels in the wildcard game because they're not going to win the division. But at the same time, it seems like Otani's injury kind of like it's amazing that he's been so impactful so quickly. I mean, Mm -hmm. even best case scenario didn't seem like it was going to be even this, but it was, and he's been a home run higher, higher home run signing and all that kind of stuff. But it's just demoralizing, especially if he's gone until 2020 and he has to have surgery. Like just, I remember when the bleacher report first uh, tweeted that out, that he was going to probably need surgery and he'll be out till the 2020 season. You're just like, Oh my God. And it's just, you feel bad for trout. You feel bad for this organization because they've done a lot, right? They brought in Kinsler. They brought in Cozart. They brought in all these names that have really helped. They locked in Justin Upton. Tyler Skaggs is turning the corner. Like it's, it felt like the Angels were finally putting together the right team around Mike Trout where he could actually potentially really have a good playoff run. We could see playoff Trout in action. And Otani's injury just, it was really demoralizing. I just, I just sighed. It's not like the Mets where like whenever one of their starting pitchers goes down or something, like you're just like, oh, same old Mets. It's like the Angels, they did everything right this offseason. Epler's made a lot of great moves and that Otani move, obviously the best thing he's done so far, but man, I really hope he can find a way to at least be the DH. And like you said, they need him more as the pitcher, but it seems like at the very least that is gone for 2018. Yeah. If you're an angels fan right now, I think what you're hoping is that the Mariners fall back to earth. I mean, I think that that is your best bet. I mean, playing at the pace that they're currently at. So while we're recording this, they're 37 and 31, the angels need to play better at home. They're 17 and 18 at home. So that's one thing that they have to figure out. Um, but you know, the, the current pace that they're at, they're, they're on pace to win 88 games and 88 games would have easily got you into the postseason last year. What, what, and I think the angels as currently constructed, that is fathomable that they can reach 88 wins with what they currently have. The Seattle Mariners are on a pace to win 104 games. No way, man. No (laughs) No. way do I see Seattle winning 104 games. Uh, So I do think that the Mariners will fall back to earth. But again, the Angels have to do whatever it takes to continue playing at this pace. And if there's an opportunity to get better this year, they should take it. Because if they can go from an 88 to a 90 win pace, then that may help them get that last wild card because the other wild card obviously is going to be the loser of the American league East between the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox. And you mentioned that you don't want to see a Seattle and Boston wild card. Well, Chase said the season ended today. We'd be watching a Cleveland Seattle American league divisional series with the winner going to the American Uh... league championship series. And then on the other side of the bracket, we would have a Red Sox Astros wild card game 
And the winner of that has to face the New York Yankees in a five game series. Like why are the three best teams in major league baseball on one side of the bracket? (laughs) You know, it sounds like a broken system. It it does. I am in favor of expanding to six teams in the postseason. Oh no, I don't want that. I think the wildcard game has been absolutely sensational for baseball. It's, it's dramatic. I I I will give you that fan. It's un like it's just I remember where I was when the twins got off to that for that hot start in the top of the first and the wild card game. I remember just the angst of the Yankees fans with um didn't Severino start that game? And yes. I think he had a bad start. And it was just like, Oh my god, they're actually gonna lose this to the twins who shouldn't even be here at home. And then of course the Yankees did what yeah, the Yankees do and Didi Gregorius yeah, tied it. Just blew him out. And it was crazy. But it was one of those things where it is appointment viewing, and that's not always the case with the baseball postseason atmosphere. Is like some games you just you forget are on or like whatever. But like I remember making a note. I'm watching this, and I cannot wait because single game elimination is just it's hard to beat. That's why March Madness is so much fun. Mm. It's just you never know who's going down, and just adding a sliver of that element to Major League Baseball, I think, is it's good. Um, they're doing a lot of weird things. Manfred's uh, been okay, but you know, that's one of the things that I do think has been a huge positive, unless you're a fan of the Pittsburgh Pirates, in which case you have a very good um, reason to absolutely despise it. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. But um, the good news is they don't have to think about that this year. They can just focus on Austin Meadows and what he could be in three years from now. That's, uh, they can focus on better times. Um who do you think their best trade target is? Because we talked about their lean starting pitching and lean bullpen, but you know, they have Blake Parker and it seems like he's going to be the closer for a while and he's fine. But like, do you think they add one more guy? Cause Skaggs is definitely a guy now he's really pitched. Well, we talked about James Shields, but is there like, and you brought up Cole Hamels. Is there one name that makes a lot of sense? Because you have to think about, this team has no prospects to shell out for right. Chris Archer or anything like that. So they can't, they cannot get a starting pitcher of that caliber. But what they can get is like the next best thing where you talk about like a bad contract pitcher, but they're still doing pretty well. It's just not worth the value of their contract. Like you said, like a Cole Hamels or something like that. I do wonder um, who makes the most sense. I mean, Detroit has gotten a lot of starting pitching uh, help this year to keep them in pseudo contention in the AL Central. I mean, who do they contact? Who do do you look at? Um, Dylan Bundy. Do you look at someone like that? I, I don't know. Who do you think makes the most sense for them? Well, right now? for the Angels, maybe they need to pick up the phone and call Toronto and ask about mm. Jay Happ. Yeah, I like that. Because uh, with Toronto, man, they were they were my surprise postseason pick. Like. Oh, I remember. We talked yes. about it on the podcast. Yes. And it looks like the surprise American League team is obviously the Seattle Mariners. Uh, I, I don't understand what the Blue Jays were doing with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. It, I don't think it's very beneficial for a hitter to dominate the level that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. did at A. I mean, if he's just toying with the system and just toying with the league, promote him to AAA. I mean, let's go. Like, He's 19 years old. You're past. You're, you've already gained an extra year's service time with them. You're to avoid Super 2. So what if you call him up in August or September and he's 19 years old and he forces the issue and now you have this budding superstar at the age of 20? 
He can make sure that your team doesn't go into the darkness of being a rebuilder. But alas, the Blue Jays are playing it really slow, and I don't really understand. And now they're really out of the playoff race. And uh, I think they got they got to move people. I think Jay, Jay Happ could be an option. Uh, if you're looking for a third baseman, I don't know if he's going to be healthy or what his status is uh, health-wise, but Josh Donaldson, I could see possibly be moving. I, I think the Blue Jays are going to be a popular seller in the next mm-hmm. month. Uh, on the trade front. So if, if I'm the angels, I'd be interested to see what it would take to get Cole Hamels or Jay Hap. I think those would be the top two targets on the list. If Danny Duffy was pitching better, possibly, mm-hmm. but he's not pitching better, but that might be good for them where it's like, they hope that if he goes to Los Angeles, that he get, turns it around he figures things out and they can buy low on someone like yeah, that. but, but Dane Moore is stubborn and Dane Moore's got good memories or whatever with, with Danny Duffy. So Dane Moore is not going to just let Danny Duffy go. Um, I mean, he brought back Mike Moustakis on a one-year deal after his disastrous off season. Yeah. And it sounds like he may keep Mike Moustakis all season with some of the things that he is saying. Again, it's the Royals. I believe it when I see it. You got to move. It's, it's the Royals, whatever. But anyways, uh, I think for the angels, that would be the two guys on the top of my buy list would be Cole Hamels and Jay Happ and see if, having them in a postseason race spark something because we've seen both Hap and Cole Hamels. When they're on top of their game, they can help any contender. Do you think they need to find a replacement for Calhoun in right field? Though? Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I looked at his stats and yes, defensively he is good, but what happened to the guy? He, he, I can't believe he is the least valuable right fielder in Major League Baseball. And I've been watching Trace Thompson for the last month play for the <laughs> White Sox. And Cole Calhoun is worse than Trace Thompson. Uh, yeah, the, the Angels need to find somebody else. They need, need to find somebody else in right field. Uh, so maybe that's another option. But again, as you mentioned, that there's just not – they don't have the prospects to make a lot of major moves. I think if they're going to make a major move – I would go starting pitcher rather than right field. At least maybe with Calhoun, he can still help you defensively and you can pray to the baseball gods. He turns it around offensively. Um, But right now I just focus on finding a starting pitcher that could replace Shohei Itani in the rotation. Might call um, the Mets about Jay Bruce or something for right field. They just signed him though. That'd be, that would be weird. That would be weird for the Mets. I mean, the Mets need to sell everything they can possibly get. Jay Bruce does not need to be on this team anymore. I say the Mets be patient. Oh, no. Are you a Mets truther? I'm not a Mets truther. Yes, this season is toast. Mm. But I'm... At least we're there. Yeah, I, I'm wondering if they refocus and they keep everybody that they can make a run in 2019. Why? Why? Because I, when you got Noah Syndergaard, when you have Noah Syndergaard and Jacob yeah. Degrom, you got to try. You got to I mean, try. Jacob Degrom might start refusing to pitch if this run support <laughs> stuff continues. Like, what if he just starts declining starts? You know, you know, this situation for the Mets reminds me a lot of the Chicago White Sox in 2015 and 2016. Mm, not a good place to be. Not a good place to be. And I say you give it one more shot. If 2019 ends up being the same as 2018, then I say you do what the White Sox did and you move both Syndergaard and DeGrom and start. Oh, 
That would be so painful. Who would you keep of the two? If you could only keep no, one, who would be? No, like? no, 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 no. You have to move both. No. You have to move both. That's just such a bad look for a New York franchise to sell to ace starting pitchers in their prime. But you like, can't support some really them. embarrassing shit. Yeah. You, well, you know what? So is the win-loss record. Okay. That's true. So I mean, you, remember that hot start? Remember that? Yeah, I do remember. 11 and yeah. 1. Hey, but you know, Brandon Nemo is really hitting. I like him a lot. And he's someone that you can build around, but you need more. And it's clear that you don't have enough. Got to start hitting. Um, Yeah, I mean, they just called up Dominic Smith, so maybe he is going to help them. I can't even, like, there's just not much you can say about this team right now. They they tried, and it worked for a couple weeks, and now it doesn't. I say I think I keep the top two, but I think I trade Zach Wheeler. I see what I can get for Zach Wheeler at least this season. You already moved Harvey, and then um, I don't trade Degrom or Syndergaard like under any circumstances. I just think you have to keep those guys. It's just such a then, bad look. Then find an owner who is willing to spend the cash. I would agree. Honestly, Wilpon's out of here and keep you going. know go get Manny Machado then. Oh, I love it. The Mets, they would be so fun to just jump in and just be like, you know what? We're only like six games out of the wild card. We're going to go for it. And they just. Oh, God, I would not get Manny Machado now, Uh, (laughs) but I would I would wait in the offseason and maybe the Mets are a a destination. You you have two choices. What we have learned in the last couple of years, when you have supreme talent like the Mets do, when you have a Jacob deGrom and Noah Syndergaard. You either have to invest everything that you've got to build a winning team around those guys, or you have to move both of them and completely start over. And you can get the same return that the White Sox got for Chris Sale and Jose Quintana. And you can look three years down the road to hopefully much happier days. And I think that's what's on the table for the Mets. And building that winning team would be having an owner willing to spend the cash to bring in Manny Machado in the offseason because they need, they desperately need to build a winning team around Syndergaard and DeGrom and bring in the best talent to support those two. Because if you're not going to do it, then you might as well move them. Do they move Cespedes if they keep having that internal conflict where it does seem like there's a disconnect and they're kind of annoyed that <laughs> he's not playing like even slightly? Uh, it's it's weird because we don't know for certain what's going on there, but it does seem like they're kind of annoyed at giving him this kind of deal and him missing a lot of games. And we know how good this team is when Cespedes is in the lineup, and um, he has not been in the lineup a lot this year, and that's been a big source of their offensive frustrations. But um, I wonder if he's someone they just say, you know what, we're just going to move. Cause that's still a very tradable contract and he's still a very good player. Right. And, um, you put him in the right incubator. Maybe things are different, but, um, maybe the angels. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's perfect for the right field spot replace Calhoun, but I think he would cost too much for them. I don't think that's realistic with their farm system. I don't think yeah. the Mets would well, take, I, I don't think anybody, their way from Los Angeles. I think Cespedes is too much of a diva for teams to pick up on. That's why I think it's like the right team. Like I could see him in like the Dodgers doing something like that. I could see like Jonas Cespedes and Yasiel Puig yeah. in the same clubhouse. I love it. Why not? The Rams just signed an Amkin Sue. Well, and, uh, Akeem Talib and Marcus Peters. That's go for that's it. That's football. Uh, yeah. 
don't get me wrong. I mean, it would be fun as hell from the outside to watch exactly. the Dodgers with Cespedes and Puig in the same clubhouse. And I, I don't mean it as a negative way to call Cespedes a diva. A diva is somebody that obviously thinks very high of themselves. And we often think of it as like female musicians like Beyonce and Rihanna. But the thing is, is that everybody knows Beyonce and Rihanna are awesome. Yes, they know that they're awesome and they require special treatment. Jonas Cespedes is a very good baseball player. He knows he's a very good baseball player and he requires special treatment because he is a very good baseball player. Hence why he is a diva. He's not a head case. Uh, it's just, it'd be interesting to see on how he would handle moving out of Queens because that was a big reason why he signed with the Mets, even though you had a lot of teams that were interested when he was a free agent. But I think that if the Angels were to call, go across country to the West Coast, I think he would uh, make that move. But after having played in Oakland and obviously Boston did not go very well and yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting what the Mets do. But again, Chase, I, I I think that they should just stick it out for this year. In 2019, give it one last shot. And if 2019 does does not go well, then I would move Syndergaard and DeGrom. Now, if they get an owner that wants to spend the cash after this season and decides to sign Manny Machado, then see how long that relationship could last having a Machado and Syndergaard and DeGrom uh, on your roster and see if that helps you compete with the Phillies and Braves in the National League East. But uh, if they're not willing to sign Manny Machado, then I, I just don't understand what they're doing as far as long-term. It's just brutal. There's nothing else to say other than I feel bad for all my Mets fans because you know what? Mets fans are actually awesome and they don't deserve what's going on here. But uh, shout out to Omar Minaya finding his way back in that front office after <laughs> years and years away. So maybe Carlos Delgado 2.0 is on the horizon. Maybe that's what Dominic Smith is. He can be their new Carlos Delgado. Huh? Um, better times in New York, maybe. But their crosstown rival, uh, the New York Yankees. Things are going pretty well there, I would say. Yep. Fans are pretty happy. Luis Severino might be the next Pedro. That's nice to have. Um, Eraldis Chapman still really good at, at baseball. They uh, are hitting as a unit again. Like Gary Sanchez is not even hitting the best that Gary Sanchez can hit. And they're still just thriving. Everything's working. Um, outside of the Greg Bird thing, which um, like we point out in the podcast, we're not entirely certain if he's ever going to become a guy that they can realistically rely on. But then again, Gleyber Torres is uh, pretty awesome. So for every miss, like a bird or whatever, they have another young superstar just waiting around. And then, of course, Didi Gregorius turning into a superstar, just like we all expected when he got traded from the Dimebacks to the Yankees years ago. Um, it's been pretty great. So when things like Masahiro Tanaka uh, goes down and he has a hamstring issue that's going to sideline him for several weeks, it looks like, um, they called up Jonathan Loisiga, who started the season in single A this year yeah, and is now in the starting rotation, at least for a brief amount of time for the Yankees. It's a great story. Like I'm completely here for this. He started the season in single A. Like I said, he throws a high nineties fastball. So he throws heat. Sabrina likes him. He commented on him a little bit. And it's like, all he knows is that he throws high nineties, which uh, definitely matters. And um, he's working on a curve and a changeup. So he's still pretty green when it comes to being a starting pitcher and having a, 
Rolodex of pitches, but um, in 45 innings, he has struck out 58, walked just four. Like, it looks great. It's definitely not going to be a long-term thing, but he does seem like someone that might be uh, getting a brief run here, but maybe he's a bullpen arm come playoff time or whatever. But do you think they stick it out with internal options or does this team like kind of um see what they can get for clint frazier if they can get a starting pitcher because it seems like he's just blocked um yeah for the foreseeable future so like do you just finally move on before his trade value plummets or something like do you just find your way out of that and see if he can get you another arm because the tanaka stuff scares me i mean he's only 29 but um this stuff is lingering and you never know if he's gonna be there and severino's great but Montgomery's hurt like they it does seem like they need at least one more starting pitcher and I wonder if Clint Frazier is the answer or they stay with Luziga and Frazier finds his way onto the main roster somehow but uh, I don't know it's an interesting dilemma in New York thinking about the Yankees I think they may want to wait to see what the situation is in August wait past July not make a move and as they approach the end of August, see what the asking price is around the league. Make a similar move like the Astros did in adding Justin Verlander, right? Yeah. I think th- Do you think that went well? I think it Oh went my well. gosh, yeah, that's that's going <laughs> terrific right now. Uh, I just realized we didn't even mention him on like starting pitchers that completely remastered their stuff after losing velocity. Like we just completely forgot I, about Justin Verlander becoming a completely different pitcher, but still just um, being unbelievably dominant since going to Houston. Yeah, I just, yeah. the entire Houston started rotation. It's just not Verlander. Garrett Cole has revitalized Charlie himself. Charlie Morton hasn't lost this year. Yeah, Charlie Morton's been very good. And Lance McCullers. And, and we're not even talking about Dallas Keuchel. Like, Dallas Keuchel is all of a yeah. sudden like their fifth starter. And he was like their ace before they acquired Justin Verlander last year on their way to a World Series title. I, I think for the Yankees, they're going to be extra patient. And I think that's going to drive Yankees fans mad that I don't see them making a major deal in July, but I see them being patient because everything has really clicked for the Yankees. When the Yankees, the decision-making that they have gone with so far uh, has been tremendous. And Brian Cashman deserves a lot of credit for building the team that the Yankees currently have because the evil empire is back. And that's what, fans of teams in the American league have to understand of wanting to rebuild, especially for white Sox fans. Even if the white Sox prospects click, is it going to be better than what the Yankees have? And, and that is an incredibly high bar that the Yankees are putting up right now. Um, well, the good thing well, for the white Sox is that the Indians window is closing. And do we think that I do. Do we yeah. really think that their window is closing? I think Look, I love Jose Ramirez and Francisco Lindor, who I think is like number two in war right now. But I do think we are inching closer and closer to their stranglehold on the AL Central um, evaporating. It just seems like teams don't just last that long and contend for five plus years. Like Francona might get tired and he retire or something. And this unit might that, get tired of each other. That could like, be a game changer. Know. Yeah, that, yeah. You, you are right. I, just Lindor and Ramirez are really good, and Corey Kluber awesome. and Carrasco and Trevor Bauer and Mike Clevenger. Uh, I'm not the biggest on the Cleveland Indians. I, I think that they're an 87-win team, and I think they could definitely be had as far as this year. However, nobody in the American League Central is in a position to take advantage of this opportunity. 
I still think it's going to be the Indians who the White Sox have to climb a hurdle over. I think at one point I thought maybe be Twins White Sox again, which would make that a fun race because of those two rivals. Um, but I, I still I still think the Indians have a couple more years as far as his window. Sure, it may be closing, but I still think they can be one of the best teams in the American League in the next two to three years. But back to the Yankees. I, I Again, I think the Yankees are going to be very patient. They're going to wait until August and see what's out there and who's truly out of it. Does it make sense for them to get a Chris Archer? Would it make sense to get a Jay Happ from Toronto? Would it make sense for them to get Cole Hamels from the Texas Rangers? It, it very well could. And again, you, you're hanging, I think, by a thread with CC Sabathia. Can Sabathia continue to stay healthy for the entire year? We'll see. I think that this is going to be his last year, especially the Yankees can win a world championship. But I think the Yankees are going to be patient. I think that's the, the best path that they can go and the best route. See what's out there in August and see what kind of lead or deficit that you have with the Boston Red Sox. Because when playoff time comes around, Maybe outside of Luis Severino, who you may feel comfortable going five or six innings, you're going to be relying on that bullpen. And the Yankees need to make sure that they have the game's best bullpen healthy and ready to go because that's what they're that's what's going to help them get back to the World Series and give them an opportunity uh, to win another World Championship. Well, good for the Yankees and the fans that have had to deal with just years of <laughs> misery to lead up to this latest uh, renaissance in New York. So good good for them that uh, they had this problem of, you know what, we could just use one more stunning pitcher to make us feel a little bit better heading into the postseason. It's a good problem to have. Um, last thing, and then we'll go. Do you think, we've touched on this a little bit, and the AL Central is largely to blame, your division that you're very familiar with. Do they have a bad team problem? Because Grant Brisby of SB Nation wrote this great piece this week on just illuminating how crazy this season is shaping up. I mean, we're already seeing a point where strikeouts are at an all time high. Right. Um, (laughs) Launch angles are becoming the biggest talking point of just um, guys like Nemo, who we talked about earlier and Ozzy Albies and just people who are just raking that uh, just five years ago probably would not be, Uh, but they are because things are changing and their approach at the plate is changing and all that kind of stuff. But there are six teams right now with a winning percentage under 400. Yep. The Orioles are on pace to lose, I believe, a thousand games. That's just <laughs> the early um, thoughts on Yeah, that. they're on pace to finish 46 and 116. They are 26 games back of the Red Sox right now, and we are mid June. Yeah. Not great. Um, but yeah, I just think that this is something like he um went back a hundred years of every team that uh, he basically showed a percentage of the teams that finished under four hundred and uh, four hundred winning percentage I should say um in the last hundred years this doesn't happen often like six teams finishing with this kind of win percentage is just it, it's an anomaly and this is also how when you talked about the Mariners being on a hundred and four win pace they are <laughs> they are benefiting from certain teams tanking and having i mean the al west is obviously a pretty competitive division outside of the rangers but the rangers are one of those teams that fall in that group so getting to play them a lot is nice but also getting to play the al central is nice and getting to play the um baltimore orioles the the blue jays like there are just a lot of teams that are about to be really bad but some of them weren't even trying to be bad like the orioles were not tanking going this year the reds i think even had high hopes for you know people were talking themselves out like, oh, could this be a surprise year for them? But it's not the case. And there are teams that are just imploding that we did not 
even suspect where. Um, but do you think we're inching closer to a point where this bad team problem is also going to lead to like situations in like 1993 where a 103-win Giants team missed the postseason because there were so many bad teams that certain records were inflated and it looked insane or from an outside observer that a team that won 103 games could miss the postseason. But I think this season might be one of those instances where the Mariners might flirt with hundred wins or something and still miss the playoffs just because there are so many bad teams, especially post trade deadline where they are going to sell off the remaining pieces, go for a high draft pick, that kind of thing. And um, certain teams are just going to win a lot of games like the Astros, like the angels, like the Mariners. I, I really do feel like we're going to see some crazy record that um, results in a team missing the postseason. We're just all stunned, but it's really just, um, due to a crazy year where a lot of teams are just historically bad. But ultimately, do you think this is a bad look for baseball or do you think this is just a blip? I don't know if it's a blip. I think you're going to see this strategy where teams are going to tank and move away, trade away all their big contracts and, and operate at a level where their payroll is at $50 million and use rebuild as an excuse to keep operation costs low and to try to entice fans to stay with them. Come, come to the stadium and see the new superstars. We promise we're going to be good in two to three years. Okay. A lot of fans are going to buy that. There's a lot of White Sox Mm -hmm. fans that are buying that message right now. And it is, nothing is certain. Nothing is certain in the game of baseball. And, uh, you know, with injuries, you know, we talked about Otani, but, you know, I think that strategy is going to happen. Like, as you mentioned, the six teams, I mean, with that winning percentage, you could see six teams with a hundred or more losses this year. And yeah, that doesn't make baseball fun. It definitely will inflate the Cleveland Indians record. You're going to have a Boston Red Sox team who's on pace right now to win 110 games, 110 games, and they have to play a one game playoff against a Houston Astros or Seattle Mariners team that's on pace to win 104 or 103. So there you go. Two 100-win teams have to play a one-game playoff. And the Indians might only finish like four games over five. Well, the Indians are going to probably win 87, 88 games this year. And Mm -hmm. they would face a team like either Seattle or Houston. And they're going to be a 100-win team. And then you look at the Indians and they're starting rotation of Kluber, Carrasco, and Clevenger or Bauer. And all of a sudden, that they're a very tough out in the postseason. And, and they could upset somebody. But again, that does make the postseason fun. But you know, for Major League Baseball, just looking around, I, I think it's a blip because look at the National League. Yes, the Marlins suck. Yes, the Reds They're like suck. the only team that were trying to be terrible this year, right. I think. I think everybody else was really going for it. Even though the Reds are disastrously bad, I don't think that they went into the season expecting to be 24 and 43 at this point. Like, the NL West, the Padres are fun. Shout out to Nick Cellini, who um, yeah. he and I have shared our admiration in um, our dude uh, from Il Reyes and the dingers that they are producing in San Diego. And they're a sneaky, fun team. They have a, the number two farm system in baseball. They're they're kind of ahead of they're on the upswing where they thought they were yeah the, i mean there's a lot of teams are in the nl so yeah and then yeah. the atlanta braves are up the uh, on the upswing the milwaukee brewers right. are mm-hmm. now in a dog fight with the chicago cubs that, that i think will last the entire year and you know you still have the diamondbacks and the rockies and the giants the, the pirates aren't terrible and i thought that they might be heading into this year but uh 
they're okay. They're, I mean, yeah, they lost Garrett Cole and they're fine. There's only four teams right now in the National League: the the Pirates, the Reds, the Mets. And the Marlins, where I say, you know, they're toast. I mean, the Padres, I still don't have a lot of hope for them, but they're within six games of first place. And you never know. You never know. But I know that they're on the upswing. They have so much talent. They're going to be really good really soon. Uh, But is rebuilding going to go away? No. I just mentioned one team that I think should take that path in the New York Mets, trading away Jacob deGrom and Noah Syndergaard. Uh, I, yes, this year kind of sucks cause there's a, there's a bad team problem, but you know what? In the American league, I think that situation was far more evident. Only five teams had a winning record in 2017 in the, in the American league. I think this year you're going to see seven to eight teams have a winning record. It's almost like everybody just gave up when they looked at the Astros, Yankees, and Red Sox roster part of the year. They're like, what are we doing? Why are we even trying? Yeah. We know we're not getting out of this. Even the Indians too. Like you're just... What are we doing here? And, we, we have to just wait it out. And, you know, the thing that I've been looking at, like if you, if you try to grade a team's effectiveness by wins above replacement and how much money a team is spending for wins above replacement on their current roster. And I was just looking through the numbers and the teams that are getting the most bang for their buck are the Oakland Athletics and the Tampa Rays because they know how to manipulate the system <laughs> as far as yeah. being able to keep a low payroll and still being able to put out a respectable team. But, but also that's a shitty way of doing business. And that's, I don't know why you would own a professional sports team if that was the way you were going to operate it, but uh, continue. Yeah, that's a, yeah, I agree with you. It's a totally different story, but the teams that are tanking, I'm sorry, <clears throat> the teams that are rebuilding, mm. uh, I think they're wasting money. They're, they are spending a lot of money for not a lot of value. Even if your payroll is coming to $50 million, you're not getting $50 million worth of value. Like looking around, like for the White Sox, they may be getting thirty-five to forty million dollars in value. So they're losing money in in production value uh, with with the current roster and the rebuilding. It's the teams that are winning that end up getting the most bang for their buck uh, in getting back what their investment was on, on star players. So if you just look at it from an operational standpoint, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to be tanking because it will hurt your attendance. It will hurt your television numbers and it will hurt your bottom line. And I think what we have in baseball is you have general managers right now, convincing owners that this is the way to go to build a winner, but you're one day going to have owners flip the switch and say, you know what? No, we're not doing this. You either find a way to build a winning team or I will find someone to build a winning team. So I think this fad of, just tearing it down and trying to rebuild it back up again. Like the Cubs and Astros will eventually end because I don't think the Cubs are going away. I don't think the Astros are going away. I don't think the Yankees, or the Red Sox are going to go away. I'm pretty sure the Dodgers aren't going to go away either. And now you have the Atlanta Braves and the Philadelphia Phillies on the upswing. There's just too many teams and too many hurdles that in order for you to tank and then come back four or five years later and believe you can be competitive, well, those teams are still going to be good and they are still going to be better than you. So why did you do this? And that's going to be a tough question for a lot of GMs have to answer in three to four years. Like Rick Hahn, if the White Sox don't have a better roster than the New York Yankees in four years – you're, you're, you're hoping on luck in the postseason. Um, 
mean, we're also hoping they're going to start spending like a Chicago team has traditionally done. Yeah. You're hoping that eventually Reinsdorf's going to open up the gym. Writing is on the wall, man. Just look at the NBA and look how the Chicago Bulls are operating. They didn't even bother sending scouts to an international event because they didn't want to spend the $10,000. Hey, man. He, they also sold their second round pick. Yeah, uh, for three and a half million. And, yeah, but it was only Jordan Bell. It's only turned out to be one of the yeah. key contributors to a, another title team. Um, old habits, my friend. Man. Old habits. Well, I mean, that's just hard. that's just how Jerry Reinsdorf is. He's not he's not Ricketts. He's not the Ricketts family. He's got his world yeah. championships and he's got his titles. He is going to be reasonable. He's not going to put the team in debt. They're going to spend the money that they make. Well. The White Sox don't make a lot of money compared to other teams in Major League Baseball. So Rick Hahn is going to have to get really creative when it's time to flip the switch and add the missing pieces to make this roster work. Right now, they should be doing what they are doing, which is 100% focus on player development. But again, when you have all those pieces and you say, we are going to be a contending team, is that team going to be better than the contenders today? We'll see. We'll see because you know what? The Yankees are proving that you don't have to tear it down to have one of the game's best farm systems. And you can still take on big contracts and make big signings and integrate it with up and coming talent like a Glaber Torres and still be one of the best teams in Major League Baseball. That's a great way of ending this podcast. Josh Nelson, I really appreciate it. This is always a pleasure. And, uh, I enjoyed it. So um, we can find you on Twitter at SoxMachine underscore Josh. We can listen to you on the Sox Machine podcast, the best Chicago White Sox podcast. And you get to listen to Josh's voice on other mediums besides my own because um, I think he's, I, I mean, right now he's my favorite to replace um, their current play-by-play broadcaster. <laughs> so I cannot remember who it is right now. Well, if it's on that radio, it's Ed Farmer. Okay. <laughs> So Josh will eventually un- usurp him and take over that role. But until then, I appreciate you taking the time to come on my podcast. Um, Josh, thank you so much. And let's talk again soon. Yes. And see where the rays are in July. <laughs> we haven't talked about that, but we can. <laughs> We're done. We'll talk soon. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.